0: Now, dear children, continue, continue in Him, so that when He appears, we may be confident and unshamed before Him at His coming. If you know that He is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of Him. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. What the world does not give us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not been made known. But we will know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. Who does what is sinful is one of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the God...
1: All right. Good morning, everybody. It is um, my privilege to carry on this very long, extended, slowly moving series from uh, the letters of John. And uh, we are in 1 John. And the last time I spoke, it was from 1 John chapter 2, verse 18 to 27. And I talked about Antichrist now versus Christ eternal. And that passage also started with in verse 18, with dear children, this is the last hour. And uh, being reminded about what, uh, what Usagi said in his welcome, I spoke, I don't know if it, m- many of you remember, but I uh, spoke about what does this, you know, now is the hour, the difference in God's mind of time and space compared to us. And that, you know, I paced out seven meters from here to there and said, that's kind of the, the timeline of the universe. And we were like one millimeter of that. Total existence, like thinner than a piece, like a, the thickness of a piece of paper, uh, and like Usagi shared, it's like we, our minds can't comprehend when we think about eternity and the size of the universe and how many stars there are and how many galaxies. And when I'm in, uh, when we were in Namibia, uh, Namibia is, is, is an amazing country. It's a desert country, and it also has very high mountains. Namibia has 300 cloudless. Cloud, cloudless clear sky days per year. So it's one of the the, the most clear, it's completely the opposite of the UK. <laughs> uh, which is also why there's a number of telescopes situated in Namibia, because astronomers love it that they know that they've got most nights have clear. But also if you drive out of Windhoek, where we used to live, uh, you only drive about half an hour, and then you're up in the mountains, kind of over the edge, and you don't have any light pollution from the city, and there's nothing, there's no, there's no light, anywhere and you look up and and you cannot imagine the amount of stars that you see in the sky. It is is like in, uh, it's hard to describe, you have to see to to understand it. But I used to take people out there uh, for for a Bible study and then show them different stars and then point at specific stars, which if you look up, it looks like a star, but that star is actually a galaxy uh, that looks like a star. And in that galaxy is a billion stars, a billion suns. And then I pointed another star and I pointed another one and said, you know what, there's a billion of these stars that look like stars that are actually galaxies containing a billion stars each. And, and so we got, I was like, "In what? <laughs> I mean, these are numbers that we can't even comprehend. In fact, you can't count them. If you, even if you start counting now, one, two, three, four, five, six, as fast as you can, you cannot count them in a whole lifetime. Even if you started when you were born until you die, when if you, if you live to a hundred years old, you cannot count all the stars in the universe. Uh, why is this important? Uh, It is important because it is important for us to just grasp how insignificant and small we are in this universe compared to how big and unimaginably powerful and strong God is. Because the Bible says God created this universe. He is above all and over all and through all and in all is even outside this universe. This universe is contained by space and time, and God is outside of space and time. And whether you're a mathematician or a physicist or an astronomer or just an ordinary human being like me, our human brains cannot comprehend that. We struggle with that. But God reminds us of that throughout the Bible because it's really helpful for us to, to maintain a spiritual perspective, and that's what I talked about the last time, is to, to to maintain a spiritual perspective on life, and not about only about this material life that we so easily get caught up in. Um, to maintain the sort of, to, are we going to choose the antichrist, the against Christ, choose the material of this world, or are we going to choose the Christ eternal? the one that gives us eternal life, life beyond this life. And we talked about ghosts and spirits and life after this life and what happens after our body decays. Talked about choosing the spiritual over the material. That passage started with dear children and very similar in this passage, we've got about, let's count them. Uh, He starts off verse 28, dear children, Verse 29, he talks about being born of him like a child. And then chapter 3, verse 1, we should be called children of God. Verse 2, we are children of God. Verse 7, he repeats, dear children. Verse 10, this is how we know who the children of God are. One, two, three, four, five, six times in these short 12, uh, 12 verses. John really wants us to understand that what it means to us to have this kind of relationship with God. Now, just imagine that. I mean, what, what do children, what, one of the things children like to do is, you know, especially when they're smaller, when they grow up, they kind of outgrow it, but they, they, they like to talk most about their dads. You know, my dad is the strongest, my dad is the fastest, my dad is the cleverest of all. Or, you know, it's like little kids like, they, they, they look up to their dads like that. Now, imagine if I said, my dad is the president of the country we would be impressed? People are like, him, wow, that's good. Cool. What if I said, my dad is Superman? It's like, oh, that's nothing. My dad is Thor. <laughs> what if I said, my dad is the creator of the universe? My dad made everything that you see. If you walk out here and you walk the Cashebury Path, you see those big trees? He made them. You see the water in the river there? He made it. You see the ground, the soil, the rocks? He made it, he made it all. Like, yeah, what about, what about this building? You know, humans built it. No, no, it was built with materials that my dad made. John really wants us to understand, and this is really important for the rest of the passage, which becomes a bit, uh, a bit difficult, complicated, and we're going to get to that. But he really wants us to understand the importance of our identity in Christ. That when we become Christians we become children of God. He adopts us into his family. And the amazing thing is in John's gospel, in John 1 verse 12, John says that is the promise that's available for everybody. Everyone who sits here today, it says in John 1 verse 12, has the right to become a child to God. Now this world, you know, we've got a a United Nations Human Rights Council and uh, There's a charter of human rights and all kinds of rights in this world that that people believe they should have. But what I did not read in that charter of human rights is this right that's actually more important than any other right in this world. Yes, we could say, oh, we have a right to a place to live. We have a right to to healthcare and to education. And, but the Bible says even more important that we have the right to be a child of God. And God has given us that right if we wanna claim it. When you become a Christian, that becomes our identity. And it needs to shape our thinking. To think about, wow, what does it mean for me to be a child of God and to claim him as my father and for him to say, you are my child? The funny thing is, as children grow up and become adults, they change. Jesus said, be like little children. Why Why did he say that? What, what is so unique about little children that Jesus said we need to be like them? What do you think? Any thoughts? Okay. They're very trusting. They're trusting. Yeah. They're Real. Forgiving. They're forgiving. Simon. They're humble. They're humble. Trusting, forgiving, humble. Anybody else? They share. They share. Most of the time.
0: Most of the time, yeah. <laughs>
1: Magnanimous. Magnanimous. I don't even know what that means, (laughs) but it sounds great. (laughs) Can someone help me out? English is my second language. Forgive me. They don't hold grudges. Great word. They are magnanimous. And we can carry on and we think about when Jesus said, be like little children. He talked about their innocence, about the the great uh, uh, qualities of their character, Um, about how how easily they, when they get hurt, they easily just get over it and forget and smile again and forgive. And they're so trusting. And I mean, when my kids were small, um, they would stand on the top of the steps and I would say, jump! And they would jump and I would catch them. And they didn't even think twice about it. Like in how many of you, if I stand up here (laughs) and you stand down there and you say, Jump! I'll catch you. I'm like, nah. <laughs> There's a trick here. Are you trying to trick me? You, you're not going to catch me, are you? <laughs> but children are just so, so trusting. A funny thing is when when we when we grow up and we become adults, we become a bit cynical and we lose some of that innocence and trustingness and and we, we we say things like. Uh, I've got some quotes here, which I found funny, you know, that, you know, a father is someone who carries pictures in his wallet where his money used to be. <laughs> and that's, you know, we look at our children, it's like, oh, children, you know, they're so expensive. they like, money. You know. We forget about the things we learned when we were kids. Uh, there's, a, there's a nursery teacher who asked um, uh, her children and said, okay, what are, you, what are the things that you're learning in nursery? And she said, you know what? Everything we learned in nursery, we forget. Like, we teach our children to share everything. Play fair. Don't hit people. Put things back where you found them. Clean up your own mess. <coughs> say sorry when you, when you hurt someone. Forgive one someone when they say sorry. Give them a hug. Cheer up. Smile. Stick together, hold hands so you can be safe. Things we probably all were taught when we were you know, little kids in nursery. But somehow, as we grow older, we either choose to forget these things or we actually forget them. Or we find like, you know what, I actually want to do my own thing. I don't want to do those things anymore. It's like, what is wrong with grown-ups? Another teacher actually asked her class. So, so what do you think, what's wrong with grown-ups? And they said things like, oh, grown-ups, they make promises, then they forget all about them, or actually they say, no, no, it wasn't a promise, I just said maybe. <laughs> now, maybe as a parent you remember, or <laughs> that sounds familiar. It's like, in, have you pro- did you promise your children, like, oh, you know, when you do this, we can go and do that, or I promise we'll do that. Or, and then it's like, no, no, I didn't mean it like that. Or the kids wrote, they said, grown-ups don't do the things they're always telling the children to do. Like always tell the truth. The children said, oh, grown-ups, they never really listen to what children have to say. They always decide ahead of the time what they're going to answer, even if they ask you, what do you want to say? (laughs) And then the fourth one they said grown-ups make mistakes, but they never admit them. They always pretend that they were not mistakes at all, or that it was actually someone else who made the mistake. Doesn't that sound familiar? Like what, what happens to us as adults? Why does this why does this happen to us that we're not like these innocent little children anymore? And what John writes here, he says, you know what the problem is? It's this thing called sin. We start sinning when we get older. We start wanting to do what we want to do and not what our daddy wants us to do anymore. And we don't wanna please our dad anymore, we wanna please ourselves. And we don't wanna live for our parents anymore, we live for ourselves. We wanna leave the house and do our own thing and, um, and, and you know, rule our own lives and be rulers of our own lives. And that's what changes. And John talks about that here, and then he actually comes to a very challenging, very difficult passage. In verse, um, where are we now? In verse 6, he says, no one who lives in him, meaning in Christ, keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. That's a bit of a problem. How many of you here would say that you know Christ? If you feel okay, I know Christ. It's not a trick question. <laughs> <laughs> you can be honest. It's like, yeah, I feel I know Christ. Now here comes a three question. Have you sinned since the day that you got to know Christ? You don't have to put up your hand, but you're welcome if you puck puts up his hands like him. At at least there's one sinner in here. Oh, there's two, Danny as well. The rest of you is like, I'm going to sit down now and one of you can come and preach. But That's a troublesome passage. It's like, hang on, I thought I knew Christ. I thought I was in him. And now John tells me if I sin, then I'm not in him. In fact, he says, if I'm in him, he says, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. How's that possible? Like a, how come I still sin when I thought I'm in Christ and I know him and I've become a child of God and, and now he tells me these complicated verses about sin and about breaking the law? And like. The way to, I think, to help to understand this is to understand this word called sin. Now, there's different definitions in the Greek, the word is called hamartia or hamartia, and the one, if you go look in the dictionary, the one definition is literally to break the law. But the, the origin of the word hamartia actually comes from ancient Greek, from, uh, uh, from shooting bow and arrows at a, at a mark. And then to, to, to miss the mark, is when you shoot at the mark and you miss it, that's hamartia, is to miss the mark. Okay, so let's illustrate this a bit. Um, I've got a mark here. It's not a well-drawn mark, but it's a mark nevertheless. Does this look familiar? Well, if you target shooting or something and... Darts. yes, yeah, darts. And, and where do you score the most with darts? In the bullseye, in the middle, right. Or if you target practice or with a bow and arrow or shooting with a, with a gun, you need to get it as close as possible to the middle. Now, why are these rings around there? What does that mean? Lower score. So maybe you score a hundred in the middle and then 50, 20, 10. But why do you need those rings? I mean, if all you need to do is just hit the mark. It's not that easy. easy. So who's up for some fun? (laughs) I need some volunteers. Come on, Mulligan. I'm volunteering you. <laughs> you get yourself two, uh, two, and who else? Amy. I'm volunteering you as well. <laughs> come on, let's have some fun. Yeah, how many weapons? You, you can have two. In fact, you can have three. You, you can have three as well. And then who else do I need? Anybody, any other volunteers? Volunteer. One more volunteer? Usagi, Usagi come on.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Two. <laughs> Two.
1: <laughs> okay, Mulligan, let's see how you do. You can, you can stand even up to the stage if, if you ah. want to. Ah. Okay, I think that it's about I'll put a little M there for Mulligan. Let me just move mm, it back a bit. Right. Whoops, there's another M for Mulligan. <laughs> Whoa! I think that was a bullseye. I'll put an M in the middle there. Well done. (laughs) It's M M with an E, right? It's with an E. Yeah, Yeah. right. Okay, that's a good shot for a starter. Oh, and another good one for a starter. And that one's a little bit outside. Okay, come on, Danny. Oh, Danny, very close. Oh, and also very close, and also very close. Good grouping, but still a bit wide. (laughs) No, no, you only get three shots, Sasaki. I know, I've got three shots. Ah, okay. So, there's one there, there's one there, and one there. (laughs) (laughs)
0: And
1: there's another one there. And that's your three
0: shots.
1: (laughs) Now that is interesting. Who's the innocent child in here who scored the closest to the middle? Hmm, Makes you think, doesn't it? And then you always get someone like uh, Danny, who's uh, just a little bit naughty. Now, what's the difference between what I just did and what Maligan did and what Amy did? What's the difference? They, they aimed. They aimed at what? At the And I? I didn't even aim at the target. I was like, I don't care about the target. I want to throw it at Sagi and the Danny. Who cares about the target? I want to do my own thing. I want to shoot at my own target here. Now, If I look at uh, Danny, Usagi, Emmy, Mulligan, if I say the target is everything on the whiteboard, including outside the circle, but as long as you're on the whiteboard, then uh, barely, barely, Usagi barely made it. (laughs) But we can kind of say, you know, he made the target. Everybody hit the target. Now some got closer to the middle, maybe got a bit more points and some got a bit less points, but everybody made the target, except me, because I was like, I don't care about the target, I'll throw somewhere else. If we read these scriptures and we kind of replace the words sin with miss the mark or miss the target, then let's read it again and see what that sounds like. Uh, We'll pick it up in verse four. Everyone who misses the target breaks the law. In fact, missing the target is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away missing the target. And in him is no missing the target. No one who lives in him keeps on missing the target. No one who continues to miss the target has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. That's a, I find that quite helpful to understand that What is it God, is it that God wants from me? The only one who actually hits the bull, hit the bull's eye all the time was Jesus. Right in the middle, every time. The rest of us, uh, we try and we try. And sometimes we say, you know, I'm just going to try everything. I'll throw four at once. Maybe I'll be even more righteous if I, you know, just do 20 righteous things at once. And we still miss the bull's eye. But we're aiming, we're trying for the target. Now is there any golfers here? Anybody plays golf? Simon plays golf. Oh, you as well, Steve. So maybe, you may, maybe you'll appreciate it. Did you know this idea? What's the idea of golf? What is the goal? What are you trying to do? Fewer shots to the hole. Fewer sho- uh, fewer shots to the hole. You, you want to get the little ball in the hole. Do you always get the ball in the hole first time? Very rare. Very rare. So why do you keep on playing? Why do you still do it? Do you ever walk around the golf course and say, I'm not going to go for a hole. I'm just going to hit it across two fairways. I wonder if I can hit it across three fairways. How long will you be a member of the club if you do that? (laughs) They'll say, no, 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 out of bounds. You're not welcome at this club anymore. But people play golf because they, they want to keep on trying to get the ball in the hole. And that is what God wants us to be like. This passage is about Think about being a child of God and what motivates your life and who motivates your life. And you think about, that: if God is my father and I'm his child, wouldn't I want to just do my best for him? Wouldn't I just want to try and hit the mark, even though if I'm going to miss it sometimes? I'm going to keep on trying to get that little white ball in the little cu- white cup. And if I, sometimes it's two shots, sometimes three shots. If it's me, probably five, six, seven shots. But eventually I'll get it in there. And I keep on playing the game. The reason I think why John emphasizes so many times, dear children, dear children, you're a child of God. Remember this. Because that would shape our behavior and our thinking and how we live our lives. And he says a, f- a few times in verse 28 he says, So how should we live? He says, um, uh, We should be be confident and unashamed. We should continue in him. In verse 3, he says, uh, all who have this hope in him purify themselves as he is pure. In verse 10, he says, do what is right. He says, love one another. In verse 7, he talks about having righteous relationships. In fact, he makes quite a challenging statement. He says, uh, uh, who's the children of God and who's the children of the devil? Well. You know, if you don't love your brother and sister, you're like a child of the devil. You say, like, you know what? The mark to aim for is to love your brother and sister. Are you always gonna eat the bullseye? If you've been around long enough, you will realize that no, no, sometimes we have squabbles and, and troubles and disagreements and arguments. And uh, we have some attitudes with our brothers and sisters, but we keep on aiming for the mark. Otherwise we are, as you said, the, the children of the devil. But this idea of understanding who we are in God will shape the way we live, to shape the way we continue in Him. The the desire to purify ourselves, like, wow, I, I just want to do my best because my dad is the creator of the universe. He's the one that I want to please, and he is pure. I just love to be like my dad, who is pure. I would love to be like my dad, who is completely loving and kind. And that is what John calls us to. He says, remember, we are children of God so that we may live a life of love. We're going to have a communion now to remind us of what Jesus did for us. We're going to have the, the fruit of the vine to remind us of his blood that was spilt for us and the bread that reminds us of his broken body. And why do we do that? In uh, verse 5, I'm going to read a different translation. In the, the New English translation, it says, it says, And you know that Jesus was revealed to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. What does that mean? It means that, you know what, Jesus came and he said, Don't worry. Usagi, you missed the mark. That's fine. Forget about that. Oh, you missed the mark again. Forget about that. Mulligan, this one out there? Nah, we'll just keep the one in the bullseye. Usagi, you again? uh, We'll we'll rub that one out. (laughs) Amy, uh, don't worry about that one. We'll call it a bullseye anyway. And that one as well, and that one as well. If we average them, it's in the bullseye. Jesus said, you know what? All these things that missed the mark, I'm wiping them out and I'm calling them a bullseye. So in the eyes of God, we appear perfect as if we've hit the mark every time. So we know that Jesus was revealed, he was given to us, he died on the cross to take away missing the mark. Because in him, there is no
0: missing the mark.